Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. It is a great day to gather together. We are going to be in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. If you would like to turn there, but we're also going to start in Matthew chapter 1. If you would like to kind of have both with your thumb and your index finger there. Um, so as you're turning there, Heather and I recently went through some trainings to be able to become foster parents. And one of the things that you have to do to become a foster parent is this thing called a home study, which if I'm honest, scares me. First off, that we might be taking care of somebody else's child is a very scary thing. Um, thank goodness that I have Heather, because just a little side note, we were watching a couple, um, we'll call them twins in this church, and um, there was one day I, you know, they asked if we could watch them and I was like, yeah, I'll watch them, no problem. And then I realized I have to watch them. And so it was like, hey, Heather, well, I, like I said, I would help. Can you please clear everything off your schedule and come help me? And she was like, yeah, I guess. And the, the girls are alive today because of Heather. Because she was there and like right away, first thing, um, we walk in, I make me a hot coffee, I set it there, and I turn my back and one of them is grabbing for that hot coffee and Heather's like, what's in your cup? And I'm like, hot coffee? And she's like, uh, not for long. And it was like, oh no, so I grabbed that and then she's like, hey, where's one of the twins? And I was like, oh, they're over here, I don't know. And then she comes in with scissors. And it's like, oh my goodness. And then one last time they disappeared on me and I was like, uh, I don't know where they're at. And they come out eating toilet paper. And it's like, the, and then this one just cracked me up. Um, we were getting them ready for their nap. And so it's like, okay, they had bunk beds at the time. And it was like, all right, who sleeps up top? And they were like, I sleep up top. Okay, I put you up top. Who sleeps on the bottom? I sleep on the bottom. Perfect. Heather's like, I don't think that's how it is. I was like, they told me. They wouldn't lie. They're like three years old. They're innocent still. And then come to find out I was totally wrong. And so we have, that's under my belt. And I'm about to say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of other people's kids. We will enter this foster process. And so they're going to have to come in and inspect our house. And so in order to get our foster license, we needed somebody to come and visit us. And through that, we actually got something out of it. Now, they did a deep dive into our lives. I mean, they, they made sure our house was ready. But today we celebrate another coming of someone. Today we celebrate the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus into this world where God came as man. And just like whenever we had somebody come and inspect our house and we got something out of it, we get something out of Jesus coming. It, it's kind of the same way that Jesus comes. But the thing is, is that if our house would not have been like prepared properly, we could have got rejected. It was based on how well we took care of everything. But what we're going to see today is that Jesus coming is not based on how well we can prepare our house of our lives, but is solely based on Jesus and so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, as I said. We're going to open up by reading the Christmas story according to Matthew, because there's one word in here that we're going to hone on this morning, and then we'll spend the rest of the time in Hebrews chapter 10. So I'm going to ask if you will stand as we read about the birth of our Savior, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. 
So Matthew says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father God, we thank you for what this day means. God, we thank you that you sent your son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so God, we just pray that as we look into what this really means for us in life today, God, speak to us. Let this be your word proclaimed upon hearts that are just ready to receive it. So help us prepare our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. So no doubt you've read this passage before. And uh, Luke's account is probably a more popular one that a lot of people read on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. They wake up and they, they read Luke's passage. But I chose this passage because there's one verse that I love that Matthew hits on that Luke doesn't. And it's Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 where Matthew says that this is done according to the prophets who said that you shall call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. I mean, think of the implications of what that means right there. Emmanuel, God with us. Because whenever you look through the history of time, starting almost from the fall all the way until this point, history has been based on man trying to get to God by their efforts or by whatever way they can. So you look and you see uh, the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11 where they, right after the flood, a couple generations pass, and then they say, you know what we're going to do? We are going to build this tower, and we're going to get it to reach all the way up to the heavens. We will go to God. We're going to do our best to get to God. And then after the exodus, whenever the Israelites are wandering, God would come to them, but they still were trying to be with God, so they created a tent of meeting for Moses to approach God, but the rest of the congregation couldn't. They had to build it outside of the gathering, and Moses could go and be with God. But the rest of the Israelites couldn't. And then that tent of meeting became the tabernacle that was a little more structured, where God would dwell among there, but again, not everybody could come to God. And then finally, Solomon, he builds a dwelling place for God, the temple. But again, it has courts. And you have the Holy of Holies, and then you have the Holy Place, and then you have the courts of the Jews, and then you have the courts of the women, and then you have the courts of the Gentiles. And so depending on who you are, you can only get so close. You cannot fully come to 
God. Throughout history, they are trying to be with God, but there's constantly some barrier in the way. And it's not even just physical creations, but it's based on our efforts. I mean, that's kind of the law was put there to show us if you really want to be right with God, if you want to dwell with God, here you go. Be perfect as the law is summed up, as God is perfect. So keep all of these rules. Do the ceremonial law, the cleansings, the don't touch anything dead. Don't sit on something that something dead has touched. You know, don't eat these things. Don't do this. You've got to continue to uphold this standard of living. And it's exhausting. And they couldn't do it. Paul even says that the law showed him his sin. That the law is not a bad thing, but the law is there to show us if I want to meet God's standard, I can't. If I think that I can go to God based on my efforts and how well I live and how, how good of a person I can be, I fail. I mean, just look at the Ten Commandments right there and all of us. Whenever you read the Ten Commandments, you might think, well, good, I've done that. Like the, the rich young ruler. Well, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't coveted. But then Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. And it's like, but if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. If you have looked at somebody with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. And so it's like, oh, never mind. Failed them all. And so what we see through the law is no matter what our efforts are, we can never go to God. We can never, based on our efforts, be right with God. That's the joy of Christmas. Not that, but that God came to us. Emmanuel, God with us. You know, the fact that Jesus is holy God. I mean, that, that God being, you know, Jesus being God in his throne would say, I'm going to go down and dwell among my people is pretty stinking incredible. John chapter one, John tells us this. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Then verse 10 tells us, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now, hold on. My temper gets pretty short when I feel like, hey, I deserve something and I don't get it. Think about Jesus being the ruler of the world and coming down to his people. And then it says his people did not receive him. But then he goes on to say, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it's not that you can strive hard enough. You can obey enough. It's based on the will of God. And then he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Paul tells us in Philippians, he tells us Jesus, even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself, 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You see, Jesus, he left his throne in heaven, came down, and Emmanuel dwelled with us because we could never make it to God. And so Jesus said, I will go down and be with them. But not only did he come, like, again, if I could choose how to enter the world and I had any way possible, I mean, I would come just like trumpets blaring and letting everybody know, come and see how good I am. But that's not how Jesus did it. He came in humility. He came as an infant, born in a stable, born in a feeding trough, not with trumpets blaring to the, to the, you know, the, the kings and rulers of the world, but to the shepherds, the outcasts, the lowest of lows. And then he didn't come and like, you know what, I'm going to come as fully God and I'm gonna, not going to deal with anything that they have to deal with. Because if you know humans and the human body and the human attitude, there's a lot of bad stuff coming out of it. But yet Jesus tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, he says, no, yep, 4.15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are. He knows what we go through. He came bearing our sicknesses. He came bearing our struggles. He knows what it is to be tempted. He came in complete humility. He put on our weakness to dwell among us. Emmanuel, God with us. But again, today we celebrate his coming. But that's not all today is about. Today we also celebrate the life that he lived because he did not just come to be born as a baby, but he came to live a life. Notice it said in Hebrews 4.15, he was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. Because again, based on our own efforts, based on how good I can try to be, it will never be enough. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that the law was a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So again, it's like, you know what, I'll, I'll just make the right sacrifices, I'll give enough to the church, I'll, I'll attend enough, I'll continue to daily sacrifice, and that'll get me right with God. And the writer of Hebrews is like, no, the sacrifices will never make you right with God. Verse 4, it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible for your tithing to take away your sins. It's impossible for you coming to church on Christmas and Easter or even every other Sunday that we gather, every other gathering that we have. It is impossible for those to take away your sins. You will never be able to go to God on your own. Instead, Emmanuel, God came to be with us, to dwell among us, and to eventually die for us. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. 
and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So suddenly that creates a little dilemma for us. Because we see in Hebrews chapter 10 that it says the blood of bulls and goats will never take away our sins. But then it tells us right there in Hebrews chapter 9, the only way to get rid of your sins is through the shedding of blood. What are we going to do? We can't sacrifice to take away our sins, but we need a sacrifice to take away our sins. Again, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to dwell among us, to live the life perfectly without sin so that he could be the sacrifice for us. This is why Christ died, to offer that sacrifice once and for all. Verse 11 of Hebrews 10, every priest stands daily at his service he offers repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The writer of Hebrews is really trying to hit this point that we cannot take away our own sins. But when Christ died, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So no matter what, no matter how much we strive, it'll never be enough. But God came and gave his life so that through one single offering, we can be perfected for all time. Which brings us to the great news. So remember, Jesus came so that we could get something. Jesus came so that we can come to the Father. Now we can approach God in our current circumstance, in our current state. Remember, it used to be that you had to fulfill the obligations of the law. You had to be ceremonially clean. And if you weren't, you could not approach God. And even then, us Gentiles would not be able to truly approach God. We had to stay like outside of the outside. And then even women would not be able to truly approach God. And then even Jews would not truly be able to approach God. Only the high priest one time a year could go into the Holy of Holies and make that offering of atonement. But because of what Jesus did, his coming, his living, his dying, we get to go to the Father directly. I mean, that's incredible right there. That Jesus came so that now we can come to the Father, not based on my efforts, not based on how well I've kept the law. It's not very good. Not based on how much I give, how much I do, anything like that based on what Jesus has done. He came for you. And then he offers the invitation to you. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Right there, Paul is saying, it doesn't matter how you are. I mean, you can be in the filthiest of filth and Jesus offers the invitation of come to me. It's not, hey, get life together, start doing the right things. And then finally, once you've hit that threshold, you'll be able to approach God. 
But instead, right there, Paul says it is deserving of full acceptance. You can take it to the bank. Jesus came to save sinners. And Paul's like, I'm the worst of them all. And then we go on. We have John 129, where John the Baptist sees Jesus walking alongside. And so he proclaims, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has come for a purpose, to take away the sin of the world. If there is no sin that needs to be taken away, why does Jesus come? But he came to save sinners. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus offers the clear and simple invitation. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he goes on to say. Just come to me. Come. Mark 2, 17, Jesus says to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Emmanuel, God with us, and he did not come to dwell among the best of the best. He came for the lowest of the low. He came for sinners. He came for broken He came to take away the sin of the world. This is the hope that we have today. That in celebrating the coming of Jesus, we know we can confidently go to God the Father. Key word there. Confidently go. That we with, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have this confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. It used to just be the high priest one time a year. But we get to daily with confidence enter into the high places because when Jesus said it is finished, that veil that separated man from God was torn in two from top to bottom. Saying God has broken down the barrier wall. Ephesians tells us that. That in his body, Christ broke down the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And so the writer of Hebrews says, come with confidence into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You see, here's the thing. Because Jesus came, we get to boldly come to the throne room of God. And notice the writer of Hebrews, he said, let us hold fast to that without wavering. Because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times that I let the things that I do get in the way of me coming to God. It's like, oh man, I just had that thought. I don't know if I can come to God. And the world's gonna try and be like, really? Can you come to God? Does does God, you, do you know what you did last night? Do you know what you were scrolling through when nobody else was looking? Do you know those skeletons that you have hidden in your closet that you think if if God really knew, he would not let me come to him? And yet the writer of Hebrews is saying with confidence, 
Let us hold fast to it unwaveringly in full assurance approaching the throne room of God. And notice he says, not by how good you've been, but by the blood of Jesus. That is how every single person that ever stands before God will be able to answer the question. If somebody is standing at the door trying to like sift people out and they're like, you know what? I, I, I know the life that you lived. I actually know the thoughts that you had. Why should you be allowed in here? And we don't say, well, because I. We say solely because of the blood of Jesus. Because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, the life that Jesus lived, I with confidence, I'm coming in. Get out of my way, man. I'm going to the Father. Because Emmanuel, God came to dwell among us, to live the perfect life, to die the single death that offered the sacrifice once and for all, and I gave my life to that. And I can stand because of what Jesus did. This is why Christmas is a message of hope. Because we are no longer left in our sins. God has perfected us. How, how does that set in right now? How does it feel to know that when you give your life to Jesus, you're perfected? Kind of crazy. Because when I think of that, I think of, oh, no. I think of how last night I literally got so mad at my dog because she chewed up a package that it's like, oh, I'm going to have to go preach tomorrow morning. And I literally just came from a Christmas Eve service where it's all oh, joy, happy, hate you, dog. And that's minimal to the things that it's like, man, I am a stained, sinful human being. But notice in verse 14, it said, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You are perfected when you are washed in the blood of Jesus, when you approach the throne through the offering of Jesus. He says, once and for all, you're perfected. But he says, you are being sanctified. So what that means is that when it comes to how God sees me, I'm perfect because God sees the blood of Jesus which is perfect. But it also means that my life is not perfect on this earth, that I am still being sanctified, a work of the Holy Spirit, that he is inside of me and he is making me more and more like Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Because here's, here's the thing. Jesus came so that we can come to God and someday we will forever go to God and dwell with him for all eternity. And so what we do is while we wait for that, we live to glorify God. We allow the Holy Spirit to continue to sanctify us. The writer of Hebrews says this in verse 24, let us consider because of all these things, since we can approach the throne room of God and we hold fast to this with a sure confidence the confession of our faith, he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but instead we encourage one another. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Keep living for God. Keep surrendering to the Holy Spirit. 
because Jesus is coming back to take us home. He came once, but he will come again. And so we continue to encourage one another. And all the more as you see that day drawing near. Keep living a life for Christ because of what he did. You see, here's the thing. We don't just celebrate this December 25th or whatever day Easter decides to fall on this year. We celebrate it every single day of our lives. Because every single day we get to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. He came down to dwell among us. He came so that I can go to the Father and I hold fast to the confidence that he will come again. In which I get to dwell with God forever. Because he says, hold fast to the confession of our hope, encourage one another, and all the more until the day is drawing near. And then he said in verse 14, by one sacrifice or one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see, when you give your life over to Jesus, when you confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord and believe, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then when you are saved, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. He gives his spirit to you. And there's multiple things that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us, which he makes us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. He convicts the world of their sin. But also what the Holy Spirit is, is he is that guarantee that, that deposit, that down payment until we receive the eternal reward that God has in store for us. You see Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us this, In him, that's Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire, uh, acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see, we have the Holy Spirit who is that guarantee. Jesus is coming again. So we do not lose faith when the world is going crazy. We do not lose hope. We stand firm. We continue to live our lives for Jesus because he has given us the spirit in which he tells us in John, it is better that Jesus leaves because when Jesus leaves, he'll send us the spirit. So now it's not Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know what the word is, but it's God in us. God dwells in you. Do you not know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, who dwells within us? You have God in you. I mean, Emmanuel, God with us is pretty cool. God taking up residence inside my life, working inside my heart, convicting me, sanctifying me, helping me become more like Jesus. I don't even understand that, but it is pretty stinking awesome. And he is a guarantee until Jesus comes 
Because Jesus came the first time so that we can go to the Father. And Jesus is going to come a second time so that we can permanently dwell with God. Revelation says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's the hope of Christmas. That's the hope that we cling to. That we have an eternal dwelling waiting for us. And it is offered to everyone. That as Paul says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No ifs, ands, or buts. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then he goes on to say, everyone, no matter your past, no matter what skeletons you have in your closet, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So then you get to confidently go to the throne room of God. Jesus came so that we can go to the Father. So the only question left is, Will you come to the Father? Will you come to Jesus? Will you give your life over to him? Because he still gives us that invitation to come to him. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So will you come? If you're sick, the invitation is there. Not physically, even though, yes, spiritually sick, he says, come. Are you hurting? He says, come. Are you broken? The invitation is the same, come. Depressed, angry, bitter, unforgiving, hurt, weak, tired, self-righteous, whatever it is, the invitation is there for every single person, and that is this, come. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God, we thank you that you came to dwell among us. Emmanuel, God with us. That you lived that life without sin as you were tempted in every way that we are, yet you offered for once and all that single offering that has perfected us for all time. But God, you're doing a sanctifying work in us still. And so I just pray that as you have offered the invitation for us to come, may we do that. Not just today, not just now, but God, with our lives in everything. May we see that we can confidently approach your throne. And so, God, I pray for anybody here who has not come to you, God, give them that courage. That as you say, if they believe in their hearts that Jesus is Lord and they confess with their mouths that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. And there is an assurance in that. God, you're doing a work. 
May we just surrender our lives over to you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen.